I'm going to begin without Scripture. It's a little different. But I want to begin with a statement that I made last week. And so, A.V., if you would start. I made the statement last week that a potted plant will grow only as much as the pot or the structure allows it to grow. A potted plant will grow only as much as the pot or the structure allows it to grow. And by the way, let me insert here, it's not just potted plants. In the wild, if you do not have, if in, in, in natural habitats, there can be things that can encroach upon the ability of a plant to grow. Jesus even referred to this in his parable, that there's seed and it grows up, but then the weeds choke it. It constricts its growth. We have, I stated, we have built the pastoral team to allow for growth. Growth in pastoral care, growth in preaching, growth in teaching, so that we're poised, we're positioned to be able to have multiple small groups, multiple services, and even multiple campuses, if God wills. But I also stated that member care, member care must continue to become, we're in the process, it must continue to become care for the members by the members. It cannot stay at the place where the care for the members is coming only from a select few. It must be care for the members and by the members. And the primary vehicle, the touchstone where you receive that care is in your small group. I stated last week and I stated again, if you're not in a small group, you are hurting yourself because we cannot care for you effectively. You say, well, figure it out. I am. I'm telling you, join a small group. See Desi and join a small group. This is the vehicle. This is the channel through which your care coming from your fellow members comes to you. Now, some of you may look at me and you go, well, I thought it was a specialized class of people that did that care. I thought there was extra training. I thought you had to be, uh, you know, a certain level of intelligence and all of this. And so you could ask the question, how do I care for another member? Well, the reality is, is the answer is actually pretty simple. You have a built-in barometer to know how to care for another member. It's this little saying that Jesus said. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. In most scenarios that I have faced in all my years of pastoral care, despite the idea that I thought maybe I was in a special class, and despite the fact that I've received a lot of education, and despite the fact that I am a preacher's kid and, and, and received training under that, the really the reality when I look at it now, 24 years down the road, is here's what happens every single time somebody receives care from me. And when I look at this, this is something everybody can do. Before I go into interacting with anybody that I know ahead of time, I pray. How many here know how to pray? It's just you talking to God and listening to him talk back to you. I pray. I listen to the person. In fact, I would argue that I need to do a better job at that. We need to be quiet a whole lot more and let people share their heart and, and, and share what they're dealing with and stop trying to fix it so fast. Let people listen. We're living in a world where we're more connected but more isolated. Nobody's really listening. 
We've got to struggle, church, to be present, not thinking about what's tomorrow, not thinking about what's coming, but here in the present right now. You pray, you listen, then you pray with. There is something about joining together in prayer. There's something about when you share together in mutual prayer. You share with the person from the scriptures you know and the experiences you've had. Do you realize there are people that know more scripture than I do? And there are people that have had different experiences than I have. It's never stopped me from caring for people. The scriptures I know and the experiences I've had are sufficient. And then there are occasions where something is bigger than me and I refer it out. It might be to a psychologist, it might be to a medical doctor, it might be to some other aspect of somebody that specialized in something. This is what I have done. So I stated to you last week that before you turn to receive pastoral care, you need to first turn to member care. Care for members by members. And again, in case you're panicking, let me reiterate again, just do to others as you would like them do to you. Pray, listen, pray with, share from the scriptures, share from your experiences, and when you've done all that you know to do and can do, then refer up to receive further pastoral care. Refer it up to the pastoral team. I made a statement that when you do this, when you call in and reach out and want a meeting or want to reach out and be involved with uh, members of the pastoral team and be reminded it will always be two of us. I'm not going to go into this morning more detail of that, but it's going to be two of us. You're going to get the phone number of the church. You're going to call, and most likely you're going to get Sister Joyce, our executive assistant. She's going to ask you for a succinct description. You don't need to go into all the details. Those of you that are worried about your privacy, I trust her. Did you hear me? I trust her. So you're going to need to trust me. When you call your doctor, you call your lawyer, you don't know that receptionist. They handle all kinds of confidential information. In fact, most bankers that I deal with, I don't know them from Adam. And I know some bankers here, they're waiting to see whether I say that's a good thing or a bad thing. (laughs) You don't know these people, and yet you give highly personal, highly confidential information to them because you trust the bank, or you trust the lawyer, or you trust the doctor. You're going to need to trust the pastoral team. That people we ask to serve, and if there's a mistake made, if something goes wrong, we will fix it. We will be responsible for it. She's going to ask you for a succinct description of your meeting. Who in your small group, who, what is your small group, and who have you already reached out to? Why all this structure? I asked you that last week, and I'm going to ask it again. Why all this structure? Because a plant cannot outgrow its pot. A plant cannot outgrow its pot. And a church cannot outgrow its structure. We literally can constrict who God can send to us. But if we are to plant churches, if we are to have other campuses, we need to make disciples and retain disciples. That's called growth. 
We're not growing for growth's sake. We're growing for the ability that those disciples who we make and who we retain turn into other disciple makers who in turn make disciples and retain disciples who in turn make disciples, retain disciples, who in turn make disciples and retain disciples. Growth is not the point the disciples are. But we can set up a structure that artificially constricts. So you're on the team, I said to you. Welcome aboard. Everybody. Nobody is not on the team. Let me put that in the positive. Everybody is on the team. Everybody's on the team. Now, you could ask me this morning, why did you make this statement? Why are you directing us to the members for care? This morning I want to preach to you about member care. I want to give you the scriptural backing to why I made the pastoral statement that I did last week. And as you hear others of the pastoral team give instruction and teach and preach, please understand, and I mean this kindly, and I mean this gently, but I mean this insistently. Just as I told you that small groups were coming and they were not going away, and some of you waited and watched, and that's fine. I will outweigh you. I have outweighed you. More and more of you continue to join small groups as you realize that this is not a fad. This is not going away. Can I say to you again, humbly and quietly but insistently, the body will grow, but only when the members do what the members are called to do. It's not going away. This is not a preference. This is, not, this is something that has become very clear to me, must become our mode. Everybody is involved in making disciples. We will not all be involved in exactly the same way. Our own gifts, our own talents, our own experiences. But all of us can care for one another. It's one thing for me as a pastor to tell you that's what we're doing. It's another thing for me to back up to you why we're doing it and to give you scripture behind it. And so this morning, I want to share with you the scripture behind member care. So that when I say member care needs to be members caring for members, that's not just a choice I'm making. It's a biblical structure. It's a biblical way of doing it. It's what God intends in the first place. And the better we do it, the more sin is defeated by us. I want to say that again. The better we do it, the more sin is defeated by it. Sin came into the world to separate and to destroy. If we engage in true member care, the opposite will happen. People will come together, and there will be healing. It will not be perfect. It will be messy. But it is the best antidote. 
to the destruction and the separation of sin. I begin with Luke chapter 10 and verse 27. You know the context. A lawyer comes to Jesus, asks him how he can have eternal life. It's found in several of the Gospels. In one of the Gospels, Jesus replies and says, well, what does the law say? And the man replies. In another one, the man asks, and it may have been two separate stories, or it could have been the same one slightly adjusted. The man asks, what's the greatest commandments? In either case, the answer comes back. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Vertical and horizontal. My relationship with the supernatural, with the unseen, with the divine is inextricably linked to my relationship with the earthly, with the human. These two great commandments are intertwined. I cannot love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength and all my mind without loving my neighbor as myself. To the degree that I am achieving commandment number two, it has a direct positive impact on my achievement of commandment number one. The more that I love you, the more that I love God. I'm going to say something here that's a rather bold statement. We think that we start by loving God and then loving our neighbor. And that is accurate when you first come to God. When you first come to God, you're hateful. When you first come to God, you've got all kinds of nastiness within you. You might have come to God and found yourself in racist places. You might have found yourself in bigoted places. You might have found yourself in ignorant places. And so you come to God and God breaks in. Some crisis has happened in your life. Something's challenged you. And so God breaks in and you feel his love and you feel his care. And, and, and he turns you around. But immediately when the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, you begin to act differently towards your neighbor. I'm not really here speaking specifically, although our guests are welcome to listen in, and within just a few more visits, you will stop being a guest because we don't treat you as a guest for very long. In fact, some of you are sitting here, and you haven't made up your mind that you're a part of us. We've already made up our mind that you're a part of us. We're just waiting for you to catch up. We're not going to press you. We're not going to be nasty to you. We're not going to come on and do a hard sell. But I'm telling you right now, our commitment to you has already been made. We love you. We're just waiting on you. We're just waiting on you. You take your time, but we've already committed to you. But I'm not really talking to the guest. I'm not really talking to the person who maybe they're having this interaction with God. No, I'm talking to all of you that very quickly your relationship with God is spelled out and impacted by how you treat your neighbor. He starts messing with you. God starts messing with you, not in light of what you do with him, but in light of what you do with your neighbor. Because these two commandments are intertwined, and I cannot love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind without loving my neighbor as myself. In one of the passages, Luke, specifically the one that I've already read from, Jesus tells a story when the lawyer decides to position himself and say, I'm not sure who my neighbor is. 
You know how we all do that, right? We get cagey. We try to rationalize. We try to maneuver. And by the way, saints of God, let me just tell you right now, this whole thing of, well, I do certain things to those who run the house of God, and I do other things to the people in the world, you need to get rid of that right now. You need to get rid of that right now. Just needs to go out the window. Humans are humans. Every one of them is conceived by a miraculous move of Almighty God, and he has watched them and cared for them from their mother's womb. I don't care where they've gone. I don't care what they've done. I don't care how sinful they are. I don't care how broken they are. It does not matter. Humans are humans, and we, if we're going to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, are going to have to love them also. No place for hate speech. You say, well, what about standing for righteousness? Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Do not allow the society around us to force us into making a choice. I can stand for morality and love every single person. And when society says, no, you can't, you have to pick, I look at society and say, yes, I can. You go pick. I remember in my master's program, I had a dear lady. She was an African-American chaplain at Harvard Divinity School. See, Bobby, I helped you out there. I dropped you a little piece in there. She knows what I'm talking about. Claudia would sit out on the stoop of Andover Hall, and we would chit-chat. Now, you got to understand, at this point, I'm coming from a totally integrated 50-50, if not 60-40, African-American white church. It's been that way since I was 12, at the age of uh, 12, 1985. I'm at this point now 22, 23. And that's not the way Harvard was running. That's not the way the most of the world was running. But Claudia doesn't know this. Claudia sees a white boy. That's all she sees. She sees a white boy that'll talk and speak his mind. And she kind of likes it, like a lot of you do. Not sure what I'm going to say. A little nervous whenever I say it. But I still like knowing what this guy's doing. She liked it too. And so, but Claudia had put me into a box. So one day we're standing out on the stoop, and somehow my church came up, somehow my background came up, and I started telling her about what had happened in the midst of us through the 80s and into the 90s. Now, at this point, it's 1995. She looks at me, she draws back her shoulders, and she goes, Beardsley, you are a pain. She says, every time I get you in your box, you bust it up. That is the sign of a true disciple. Do not let the world define you. Define yourself by how you treat others and let God flow through you. The world is messed up. The world is jacked up. The world doesn't have a solution to racism. The world doesn't have a solution to the hatred. The world doesn't have a solution to the sickness. They don't have a solution to the problems. But I serve a God that if I will love my neighbor as myself, I have the ability to define something that causes the world to go, wait a minute. You are this and yet that. Yes, because I don't take my cues off of this world. I take my cues off of Almighty God who is perfect and who knows how to have mercy and truth kiss.
So as we grow, we're going to be challenged. And so this lawyer was challenged. And he's like, who's my neighbor? Because he's not sure he wants God to do all this. And so Jesus knew exactly what he's doing. He says, a despised Samaritan came along. You know the story. A guy goes down to Jericho, or coming from Jericho to Jerusalem. He gets beat up by robbers. And he's laying there dying. And Jesus tells the story with great, with great drama. The people who should have cared for him did not. And then the other, the hated other, the half-breed, the one who broke the rules, the one who was a product of sin. Samaritan comes along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. He goes over to this man, and the Samaritan soothes his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandages, bandages them, and, and then he puts the man on his own donkey and takes him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, which was the equivalent of a laborer's full day wages. So it wasn't just pocket change. It was a whole day's worth of working. And he says, take care of this man on my behalf. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm through. And Jesus smiles. I love Jesus. I love when I get the opportunity to act like Jesus. I love it when some of you are trying to get out of something and I get to smile slyly and ask you a question. And when I ask it, you start wiggling and squirming and you don't like it. I love it. You pray for me that I keep a right attitude and a right spirit. I just see Jesus kind of smiling. He says, now which of these three would you say? was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits. What's the man going to say? The two other guys that went on the opposite sides of the road and left the man there to die? Or the guy that he hates? The guy that he despises? The guy that can't be righteous? Do you understand that people in the world can do good while still being sinners? Celebrate their good. Don't go walking around and, and, and besmirching people just because they're doing wrong. You're doing wrong too. We're not talking about any of us being right. Let God be true and every man a liar. The man replies, I, I imagine it kind of sheepishly, kind of mumbling under his breath. Uh, the one, the, 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 he don't want to name him. The one who showed him mercy. Jesus says, yes, now go and do the same. Go and do the same. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to understand something. We love God by caring for our neighbor. We love God by caring for our neighbor. I'm not taken away from your worship in church. I'm not, talking, I'm not taken away from your holiness of lifestyle. I'm not taken away from all of the things that you and God work out directly between you. But none of that matters if you do not have love for your neighbor. Go and read 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, I can be used in the gifts of the Spirit. I can be elevated to the highest places in heavens. I can have knowledge beyond all else. And if I have not love, it matters nothing. We love God by caring for our neighbor. Jesus goes on in Matthew, the same passage, the same story, and says the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. In other words, everything God wants of us 
is summed up in love God, love your neighbor. Again, Jesus said the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. I fulfill the greatest commandment to love the Lord my God with everything in me by fulfilling the second one that is like it. There's no way to skip this. There's no way to get around this. You cannot have right relationship with God and wrong relationship with your neighbor, which means you and I need to get deadly serious because I don't have everything together with my neighbor. I don't treat everybody the way I'm supposed to. I am not righteous in my actions towards my neighbor, which means that I have not yet arrived in my relationship with God. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God I've not yet arrived, but he'll help me but the way I'm going to get more and more in alignment with God the way that I'm going to be more and more right with God is when I turn my attention to my neighbor because you cannot love your neighbor without dying to your self-centeredness your selfishness has to die in order for you to care for your neighbor And when your selfishness dies, when your self-centeredness dies, when you wanting to have your way dies, guess what has just happened? The perfect environment for God to step in and for God to begin to transform who you are and God to return you to what you're meant to be. In other words, the vertical relationship is optimized when you get the horizontal one moving. Put differently, the engine of God's transformation is us loving our neighbor. Romans chapter 5, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Aren't you glad that he's brought us into right place? Aren't you glad that he did it for us? He says we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they, the problems and the trials, they help us develop endurance. And endurance helps us develop strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. Please understand, this is a spirit-filled church. If you want to understand what's slightly different, it is not our music, it is not our dress. It is that we actually believe the Spirit of God lives inside of us. It's not just He operates among us, not just that He impacts us, but He lives inside of every one of us. This is the hope of our salvation. Because when the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, that Holy Spirit sheds abroad within us a love we do not have you got to lose the notion that you're a basically good person. You're not. Now, some of you are going to bristle right now. Some of you are not going to like this right now. Some of you bristle when I talk about myself or I talk about my wife or my children in the way that I do. You have got to get rid of the misnomer that because you do certain actions in your heart, you are basically good. You are not. 
The scriptures say all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You are not basically good. You're basically selfish. You're basically licentious. You're basically tempted constantly. You're greedy. You're covetous. And just because the Spirit of God came inside of you and started mitigating or pushing down those impulses, they're still there. And if you're willing to be honest with yourself, there are moments, and they're usually moments with your neighbor, that boy, do they come storming out. The nastiness we feel, the ire that we feel, the anger that we feel when something doesn't go our way. Can I get somebody to just kind of wave at me a little bit and say, I understand, preacher? Come on now. We need to be honest. Part of the reason that you're not being honest is you're afraid that that's going to cost you your salvation. No. God's grace is greater than the sin that is within you. But you cannot beat sin that you don't call sin. Me and God are usually pretty good. Me and my brother and sister, that's where the problem is. Y'all don't do what I want you to do. And there's this Holy Spirit. That's why we preach about the Holy Ghost. That's why we want you to receive the Holy Spirit. We're not trying to make this something about you belonging. This is something that is powerful, and you want to have it. You want to ask for it, because when God moves from just being around you and touching you and ministering to you to living inside of you, what happens is, is your inner being begins to be flooded with love. Now, you're going to have to choose to submit to it. You're going to have to choose to allow him to take over, but you have a chance at it now. Because the love of God that loved the world so much that he would go to a cross and die for that world with no promise of whether they would say yes or no, with no promise of whether they would respond or not, that God's love can be in your heart. That's how you can turn the other cheek. That's how you can love your enemy. Jesus didn't say don't have any enemies. Some of you think that's what Jesus said. Jesus did not say don't have any enemies. Well, I don't have an enemy in the world. You lie, you lie, you lie. Well, Pastor, I'm just, I'm just so passive. I, I just, I'm just a sweet person. You lie, you lie, you lie. We ain't talking about personality here. You lie. We all lie to ourselves. There are people you don't like. There are people you'd be happy if you let yourself say it. You'd be happy if they did not exist. Listen to the nastiness of that. Listen to the ungodliness of that. That's why you don't want to go there. That's why you don't want to articulate it. I'm telling you, the reason you need to articulate it is because the answer to that is not denying it. The answer to that is turning to the Holy Spirit within you and saying, Lord, flood me. Flood me. Flood me with your love. Flood me with your love. Transform me by your love. Let your love change me. We love verse 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. 
But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right with God, since we are now right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, since Jesus restored your friendship with God, we will certainly be saved through the life of that son. So, now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. This whole passage, Paul's focused on this. The vertical relationship between a human and God. God made us right with himself. But look what John says in 1 John chapter 4. Picks up right where Paul's talking about. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is exactly what Paul's talking about. God came to make us right with himself. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. But John goes a step further. He says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, this God who we can't see lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. I got news for you. Receiving the Holy Ghost is the beginning, not the end. I know, I'm about to blow up some of your theologies. I do believe in repentance. I do believe in baptism in the name of Jesus. And the two together bring about the forgiveness of my sins. That's what the scriptures teach. I believe in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And speaking in other tongues as God gives us that language as proof that he's taken up residence within us. But you've got to understand something. That vertical relationship that has been put in right standing does not stay in right standing if we don't start to demonstrate our serving God by loving our neighbor through intentional care, through giving, and through hospitality for all. Not just those we get along with. Not just those we like. I love the team that I serve with. They come from all different places. And they probe me. They push me. Because I'm from the Northeast. I don't like the South. So I got some Southerners on my team. And they're going, Steve, you're being racist. Steve, you're being bigoted. Steve, you're judging people as a class of people. Steve, you're judging people as a group of people. Steve, you're not right in this. I have reasons why I feel that. They're even righteous reasons. And yet the love of God must be shed abroad in my heart so that no matter who it is, I can intentionally care, love. I've got to love my neighbor. Not just the neighbor I like. Not just the neighbor I'm comfortable with. Not just the neighbor I understand. Because the right standing with God is at risk. If I don't treat my neighbor, if I don't love them as I love myself, 
if I don't do to them as I would have them do unto me. We demonstrate our serving God. Yes, faith is essential, but James says, show me your faith by what you do. Yes, serving God is essential, but you've got to show that you're serving God by how you treat your neighbor. John chapter 13, probably the same author as the epistle I just read to you says, your love for one another, Jesus states this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Not your love for me will prove to the world that you are my disciples. No, your love for one another will prove that you are in right standing with me. You want to be in right standing with God? That's great. There's faith. You're made just by faith. But show your faith by what you do to your neighbor. There's my problem. I love having faith. Me and God got our own thing going. It can't stay there. It can't stay there. It's got to be about our neighbor. Now, I'm going to embarrass a few folks here, and I'm, I apologize because some of them are new. But, Barbara, would you mind standing? Barbara Sappleton, would you mind standing? I'm going to embarrass you a minute. Please forgive me. This dear lady has been coming for the last month to six weeks. She sat up there the first time she came to church. Sister Wendy Horn, who's traveling, I believe, reached over to her in the midst of a service and said to her, Sister, I feel that we're to be prayer partners. Now, Sister Wendy tells a part of the story you may not know, Barbara, which is that she didn't know that you were here as a first-time guest. Found out that she was a nurse. Wendy's a nurse as well. She just said, I think we're supposed to pray, and they exchanged contact information. There is nobody that should walk into this place that when they walk out does not have at least three or four contacts from us. Now, I don't know. I'm not going to even put her on the spot or ask her to say anything. And any of the rest that I use, I'm not going to either. So everybody relax. But I am suspicious that what Wendy did helped Barbara make her decision to come back. Because we're living in a world in which our neighbors are alone. We are more connected and more separated than we have ever been. She walks in and the first time there's somebody that reaches out and says, here's my number, can I have your number? By the way, little trick, don't put anybody under the, under, under the gun. Simply ask for their phone and put your number in it. Then they're in the driver's seat whether they call you or not. Just open the door. Say, well, I don't know how to do that. If your soul depends on it, do you? If escaping hell's fire depends on it, do you? I've seen some of you get very motivated when the right thing comes into play. Barbara, thank you. I hope I didn't embarrass you. I first started in a small group. I did not host a small group. I started in a small group. It was called Newcastle. Sister Linda Penn was the host. Somehow, Greta heard about, I'm assuming it's from Linda, they're not here today. I'll get to tease them later about it. 
My memory is, is that Greta didn't even come to the small group first. She just decided to bring over something to her neighbor because Greta likes to cook. She likes to cook. So she brought something over and just shared it. But the way we treated her, the way we responded to her, it wasn't too long until she started coming. And then before long, that was her small group. Now, she hadn't darkened the doors of this congregation. She did not consider this congregation her congregation. She had all kinds of other life issues, but this was, this was her small group. She knew exactly the schedule, and she was going to show up. She was going to volunteer food. I remember the first time. I wish she was here because I could tease her. I remember the first time she volunteered, and she volunteered to bring a big piece of the meal. And I thought, oh, sweet Jesus. I don't even know if this lady's going to show up. She didn't even come to church. I don't even know, and I want to eat. If she don't show, that piece that she just volunteered for isn't showing up. I'm hungry. Don't tell me you're not selfish. But she showed up. Then when her husband passed away, word got, Pastor, I need to see you. I need you to come. Because you're my pastor. I don't even know if she had yet darkened the doors yet. She might have come once or twice. You need small groups. But even if you don't need small groups, small groups need you. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to offend you, and I'm certainly not trying to drive anybody away, but it's not going away. You've got to get into a small group. This is how ministry is done. This is how member care is done. This is how you make yourself right with God by having your care for your neighbor. I'm so glad you're here, Ashley. You were already on my list. Would you, would you mind standing for a moment? This is Ashley. I do not yet know. I haven't felt to bug her or ask her. But somehow Ashley called our church. I have no idea what it was. She called and she asked for prayer. Any of us could have responded to that phone call. Happened to be Sister Debbie, who's on our pastoral team. She's retired. She had freedom. She wasn't at work. She called Ashley and prayed with her. And then took a step of faith. Said, by the way, I'm teaching in a small group tonight. Would you like to come with me? Ashley said, yeah. So she showed up. Ashley kept coming to a small group long before she started coming here. I'm not going to look at her right now. Ashley doesn't know if she's coming here or not. <laughs> she hasn't made up her mind about that. But can I tell you who Ashley calls when she has a need? She calls that small group. Am I right on that? Because she's figured out that these people will care for me. These people will be burdened with me. These people will pray for me. These people care for me. She doesn't know our theology. She doesn't know our doctrine. She's not sure about lifestyle. She's not sure about anything. All she knows is there's a group of people who eat with me and they care about me. Thank you, Ashley. What about Scott? Scott's not here today. You all know Scott Lucas well. Scott has, from a young, from a boy when he's in high school, has crush to his legs, crush injuries to his legs. 
The result is, is that he has massive health problems. He's trying to work and care for his little boy. Life's a mess. Scott is still attached to us for one reason. One reason. There's some Christians who are being his neighbor. Amy and Jose open their home every two weeks. Scott doesn't always make it here to church, but he's making it to his small group. Am I telling you that Scott doesn't need to make it here? Absolutely. Come on, folks. Be kind and be patient. People's lives are tough. They have to sort things out. But you've got to reach for your neighbor. You have to touch your neighbor. You have to care for your neighbor. You have to be burdened for your neighbor. What about Tyshira? Hardly any of you know her. Young teenage girl. Going through all of the changes that come as a young teenage girl. I'm telling you right now, it mattered something to that girl that a small group that she's not officially a part of and a church that she does not claim as her own, when it came time for her play, there were members of that small group that were in that play. They were sitting there watching her play. I called Lil to do some transaction of business. I didn't know what was going on. I heard all kinds of noise, and then she told me, she said, oh, I'm at Tyshira's play. You gotta risk it. You gotta make yourself vulnerable. I got one more. Jesse, would you stand up? I'm sorry. I know you don't like it. Stand up. Jesse's a traitor. Jesse started coming to my small group because Daisy, her sister, is in my small group, in my home that I host. When Jesse first came, she was not sure. She's as ner- she was as nervous then as she is now. <laughs> Probably worse. And as she sat around that dinner table and we just were who we were, you don't have to conjure up anything special. You just need to be you. Pray. Listen. Pray with, share your knowledge of Scripture, share your experiences, and then connect to those who need to connect with. So she came back. I don't think we really connected with Jesse, we just didn't blow it. The first one, I'm I'm being very transparent here. I don't know that we won the day, but we just didn't blow it. But the second time Jesse came back, Brother Brian was teaching our class. Brother Brian, would you stand? Brother Brian's a bricklayer. Do you understand the intimidation when your pastor holds a doctorate in biblical studies and you feel something stirring in your heart to be involved, but you're thinking, how can I do that? Brother Brian has his entire life dealt with a speech impediment, a stutter. So now you're going to teach, you're going to teach in the preacher's home. You're going to teach the preacher. The preacher's been studying the Bible since he was a little boy. He's memorized thousands of verses of scripture, holds a PhD in biblical studies, has no speech impediment, 
fact, at times it's so slick with his words, you almost don't trust him. I sat there and I watched as one man put neighbor ahead of self. And he stuttered his way through that lesson. And he expressed the word of God as best as he knew how. And Jesse, I'm telling you, I sat over on the side and I watched you. And I watched as wall after wall after wall fell down. Because somewhere, whether you knew it or not, you looked there, not here. And you went... I can identify with that person. I'm not the one who'll do this. You are. I can equip you, but I can't reach some of the people that you can reach. I can't touch some of the people that you can touch. And God knows this. Thank you. You may be seated. God knows this. And that is why, that is why, under the unction of the Spirit, Paul writes in Ephesians and says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Who is doing his work? Who is building up the body? Not the gifts. It's God's people. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to that full and complete standard of Christ. Then we'll no longer be immature. Like children, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Regina, if you'd come. Two final points. So the pastoral team will equip you. We will continue to preach and teach and equip the body. The Newark UPC, the days are long overdue that you do the work of ministry, namely building up the body of Christ. I love Barbara. I think I've treated her with respect, but I couldn't touch her like Wendy did. I've had brief encounter with Ashley, and honestly, she's not sure what to do with me. She's a little nervous, and she's even more nervous after this morning. But she's real comfortable with Debbie. She's real comfortable with Desi and Rachel. She's sitting back there with some of her small group members. I noticed. I saw it. 
You know why I didn't worry? She's had to hop up and down, up and down as a little guy's had to go out. You know why I haven't been worried? Because they're her small group members. That's her family. She already has connection there. I can't do that. But you can. We can equip you. But you have to do the work of the ministry. You have to love your neighbor. Serve God, yes. But serve your neighbor. This is how we love God. Serve your neighbor. You cannot serve God without serving your neighbor. We love God by caring for our neighbor. And that, my brothers and sisters, is member care. Is it risky? Yep. Is it scary? Yes. But it has to happen. Or we're done. And Jesus said very explicitly that a tree that does not bear fruit will be cut down and cast into the fire. I am not impugning anything we've done up until this point. But I'm telling you, this tree must bear fruit. How are you going to do it? Love your neighbor. Where are you going to do it? In your small group. You're the one showing up at the hospital. You're the one having coffee. You're the one crying together. Pastoral team, we'll be there when you need us. But our primary job is not to feed the widows. It's to pray and bring you the word. It's to equip you. It's to teach you. That's our job. Equip the body to do the ministry, to build up the body. And I understand I come on heavy and hard. But I'm looking at a church that I'm telling you, God is calling you. He's calling every one of you. He's saying you need to love your neighbor. Not just say you love your neighbor. You have to put it into action. Well, you got a great context to do it. Start with your small group. If you don't have a small group, get one. Get one. Because the care for one another is how we show God that we love him. We don't show him we love him by our tithes and our offerings alone. We don't show him we love him by our attendance to church. We show we love him by what we do with our neighbor. Now, I already know I preach long. I'm aware. You got time to let God speak to you? If you don't, slip out. He's going to follow you. He's going to bug you. I'm telling you right now. This is his work. It's not mine. So he's going to bug you. But I'd like to give you the opportunity to come to this altar and humble yourself before God. Because I believe before you leave this place, you'll have one concrete thing you know you're supposed to do. You're going to have one thing that you are supposed to change within your life so that you are loving your neighbor. Not expecting anybody else to do it. No, you loving your neighbor. Jesus, I love you this morning.